0: thank you for listening to the redemption church podcast for more information about redemption church please visit redemptionokc.com you can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on itunes thanks again for listening Friends, we're in this series called "Scattered Together," and we call it that because the church is not an event we attend. The church is a people we belong to, and so even the fact we can't gather in uh, together, together and worship right now, but we're scattered together as the church. And so, as the church, we can still honor God in our homes. We can honor God in our workplaces where we work out in our neighborhoods as we serve the, serve our city and all those around us. We're still we're still living out life as the church. And so, scattered together, we're the church, and we hope someday. Very soon, we really hope this Sunday we'll be gathered together as the church, and we know that even in that, not all of us will be able to be there. But we're hopeful that we'll be again the, the process of reopening. And so this week, uh, I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for information about phase three of our reopening process. We're we'll putting out information as soon as that's available, just kind of detailing what our plan is for the month of July. And so I encourage you to be looking for that. Uh, but just know, our plan is that we're going to still be the church. We're still going to do the things God's called us to do. And we'll do that scattered together until we can do it better gathered together and so let me pray for us um, to that end heavenly father we do just ask that you would help us have eyes to see that we are the church Help us understand what it means that we are your people, uh, that we are your, your beloved possession, that we are uh, the family of God, that we are a community of faith, Father, that whether we are together in one room or whether we are scattered in homes uh, in groups and in small pockets of people throughout our city, Father, we're still your people. We're still uh, the apple of your eye. We're still the, the ones that you've called out of the world to yourself and that you've promised you will care for. And so, Father, would you give us eyes to, to see that in a new way in this season? and just to trust you with the slowness of, uh, of kind of our, our anxiety and tension about getting back together. Uh, Father, would you meet us in that space? Would you help us to be present to the moment? Would you give us peace and joy and patience uh, even in these days? And Father, we, we ask all this for your glory. We ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus, and through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends as we are walking through this season together and we're thinking about all that it means for us to to live as the church uh, man i'm just thankful for the opportunities that we have in front of us to think about some things in maybe a different kind of a way and we've been talking in this series about what does it look like for us to love one another as jesus prayed for us in john 13 and 17 and we looked at that in week one and week two we really looked at what does it mean that everyone matters and the fact that we want no one to walk alone and we want everyone to be known and so every individual individual matters as a part of the community and so being a part of the community of God doesn't mean that we're all that we're all uh, the same that that it doesn't mean sameness it means that we're all important and so uh, together we get to show off the love of God but we do that partially by valuing individuals and and meeting them where they are and we want to be able to do that and then last week we talked about service we looked at Jesus washing his disciples feet and we talked about what it means that we are called to serve as Jesus served and Jesus said that that the pupil's not greater than the teacher and uh, the servant's not greater than the master. And so we ought to serve one another just as he has served us. And so that, we kind of, with that mindset, we're moving into this week. And this week, I want us to, to press into something and, and, and do a little more reflection on ourselves and, and look at the person of Jesus and go back to what it is he's calling us to do, especially in this season. One of the things I, I think that we've talked about is in this season, I'm just convinced that the world's asking questions of us. They're looking to the church and they need us and they need our involvement in order to demonstrate what God's love really is like. And so in that, I think the world, the only way we're going to really impact the world is if we really do love and serve the way Jesus calls us to love and serve and so in that here's the problem I think most of us uh, probably overestimate how well we're doing in that. Uh, I was listening a couple weeks ago to uh, Bill Wellens, who is one of our board members, and he was sharing with us in one of our leadership equipping workshops just some stats on the fact on how we uh, we view ourselves and self awareness. And he was saying that psychologist Tasha urich claims that the research reveals that 95% of people think that they're self aware, but the real number is about 10 to 15%. So 95% of the think they are aware of what's going on in their life but the number statistically is probably more like 10 to 15 percent and she jokes as she coaches executives that on a good day 80 percent of us are lying to ourselves about lying to ourselves that we we've got an incredible ability to put blinders on and not see ourselves well daniel goldman another leader who uh, has researched over 200 global companies wrote in harvard business review and he said that self-awareness or emotional intelligence is the essential element of leadership without he says a person can have the best training in the world an incisive analytical mind and an endless supply of smart ideas but still won't make a great leader and so we see that the research bears this out. We've probably seen examples of this, too. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, one of my most cringeworthy moments on the show is when you see someone who has a good idea, and they start, then they start talking. And as, uh, as, as the, kind of in that reality show moment, people start going back and forth. They may start asking questions, and they keep talking. And maybe someone pushes back against them, and they keep talking. And I just start cringing because I just think, oh, you've got a good idea. But we know what's coming, that eventually someone's going to look them in the eye and say, look, you've got a decent idea idea, but I don't want to work with you. And so they're going to push back and we've all seen that happen. Self-awareness. So turn with me to Mark 14 and we're going to look at some uh, some guys that have a problem with some self-awareness in Jesus' disciples and I've just been thinking about this because I've been watching our world. As I watch the world I'm not just thinking about what's going on in our world but I'm thinking about how we're responding to what's going on in our world. What are the reactions or responses that we're making to the circumstances that have changed in the life um, in our lives over the last few months and so what I'm actually seeing in in, in our world is actually giving me more confidence in what the Bible teaches because the Bible tells us that this is true. And so I want us to look again at Jesus this week and That's... That's generally a good idea. And so we're going to look at Jesus, and uh, we're going to look at a situation where Jesus' life is filled with all kinds of pressure and tension, and He's in a moment of crisis. And we're going to watch how He responds in that moment. But we're also going to watch how His disciples and those around Him respond in that moment and see what we can learn about ourselves from that. And here's what I realize. is As we walk through our own times of crisis, our own times of pressure and stress, we're going to have to make a decision. Are we going to react to the world, or are we going to respond to God and to His Word? Are we going to react to the world or respond to God? So let's dive into Mark 14. We're going to start in verse 26. And let's dive in and see what we can glean from Jesus and from his followers here. Verse 26 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you and they all said the same so famous uh, passage if you are familiar with the scripture about jesus uh, predicting peter's denial and and you read this and you just start thinking oh peter here you go again always the leader always the vocal one always the passionate one always the one to, to take charge and jump into the into the fray and his rabbi his teacher says you will all fall away and what's peter's first response not me And I I kind of picture Jesus there going, Peter, I don't think you understand the meaning of the word all. And and yet Jesus, I mean, Peter's response tells us he really did understand all. He just disagreed with Jesus. He never lacks confidence. He just says, look, even if they all fall away, I won't. And so Peter uh, kind of stands his ground, and uh, Jesus says something that's a little bit insulting. He actually says, Peter, you're going to crow like a rooster. In fact, you're going to crow more often than a rooster. A rooster's going to crow twice. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster even crows a second time. I love that it says Peter says this emphatically. You can hear him, can't you? He's just going, Jesus, even if you die, I will die I'll die with you, but I will never deny you. And I love the sincerity. I love the passion that that you see so often in Peter. And I I think he really believes that nothing could ever lead him to turn his back on Jesus. And before we're too hard on Peter, Peter, you notice the last phrase there in thirty-one. It says, "And they all said the same," meaning all the other disciples jumped in with Peter and go, "Yeah, us too, Jesus. We will never deny you. We're with you to the end." I think this illustrates a point or a universal problem that when you consider their self-awareness, it's obvious that they weren't seeing themselves clearly. Jesus says you're all going to fall away and we're going to see in just a minute they all do fall away and yet to a man they all said I would never fall away. See, there's a universal problem that we overestimate our strength and our faithfulness. This is obvious biblically but it's also true in our experience. This is we think about life as we, as we see these things as we see research and we see these things vetted and in, in experienced um, it's true as well. But the good news is as badly as we overestimate ourselves we also underestimate the love and the strength of Jesus. Let's look at verse 32. It says, And then they went to a place, this is Jesus and his disciples, he took them all and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible that this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak." And he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus gathers these disciples. He takes them into a place to pray. And as he goes in the garden, you notice Jesus is describing, it describes how Jesus felt. It says he was greatly disturbed or distressed. He was under great stress. In fact, it means he was astonished about what he's about to go through. It says he's troubled a man. He was horrified. that he, he sees what it is he's about to do, and he's, he's kind of knocked back on his heels about it. In fact, he says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. See, Jesus lived with an open heart. He was honest about what he felt. He, he was able to name his emotions. He was able to, to say out loud what it was he was experiencing and feeling. And that didn't cause him to shrink back, but he, but he was able to name it honestly. So he had an open heart towards what was going on inside himself. You notice he also had an open heart to others. Uh, Jesus Notice what it says about his community. It says that he gathered them in the garden. He said, sit here with me and pray. Then he took three, his, his kind of inner, inner circle of, of friends, his small group, and he took Peter, James, and John, and, and he gathered them, and he says that he took them with him into the garden. And then he said to them, remain here and watch. So as he's going to go off and pray, he just says, Remain here and watch meaning watch over me, pray over me, be here with me in the middle of the struggle, as he expressed to them the tension he was feeling in his own heart. See, Jesus needed community. In his stress, he gathered his friends and he asked them to support him. He asked openly for for them to to be with him and to stay with him and to pray with him. Um, Jesus needed community. And third, we see that Jesus lives with an open heart, not just to what's going on in him and to his, his, the people of God, but he had an open heart to God himself. And so he has an open heart to his heavenly Father. Watch his prayers. He falls on the ground. He says, if it's possible that this hour might pass from him. But you he says, Abba, Father, He directs directs his prayers to his father, and Abba is a word like daddy or papa, and and so it's personal. And so he runs to the Lord in a very personal way, and then he talks to the Lord about his circumstances. He says, would you take this away from me? Can we do this some other way? He's not not afraid to share his feelings and his desires and his wants with his heavenly father. The cup that it talks about when he says, could this, could this cup pass from me? The cup is the cup of God's wrath. It's taken an Old Testament image of the cup of God's wrath that's poured out on sinners. And Jesus is going to bear up under that cup. He's going to have to drink from that cup of divine justice poured out against sin. And Jesus doesn't want to do that in the sense of he knows the pain that's going to be there. He knows what it's going to bring him. He knows the difficulty of what's ahead. He doesn't like his circumstances, but he's honest about them. And he asked their father, is there any other way? to bring about this uh, my mission and my purpose in the salvation of men than this and so his desire is revealed in his prayers and he's honest about his wants but even in his desires you notice that jesus relinquishes control that he surrenders or submits to the father's will he says yet even though this is i would rather find another way to do this yet not my will but yours be done and so he surrenders himself. That's a pledge of love. He surrenders his wants to, the, to his heavenly Father's wants. See, the way the world says defend all of your wants, fight for all of your wants, demand all, of your, all the things that you want, and the way of Jesus says, not what I want, but what you want, oh God which is a different approach. And we're going to see in this passage the contrast of the way of the world and the way of Jesus. And we're going to see how they get worked out here in just a minute. But it's comforting for me as I look at this to think through how much Jesus wrestled honestly with what he was having to go through. When he looked at his circumstances, when he looked at the world, when he looked at everything that lay ahead for him, he was wrestling with that. But even in the midst of his wrestling with his heart and his emotions, he also is submitting and surrendering to the direction and the leadership of his heavenly Father and his Father's will. And so he's committed to obedience. Jesus is showing us what true self-awareness and emotional maturity look like under pressure. It's, it's someone who is able to remain open. Someone who's able to name what it is they're feeling and they're experiencing, and yet someone who surrenders themselves to, a higher, uh, to someone who is higher and a higher authority. Jesus isn't reactive to his circumstances because he's responsive to what his Heavenly Father wants. Just a few verses later in the next section, Jesus as he teaches is going to say, but I need to do this so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so you see, it's not just openness to the Father, but it's openness to the Father's word, to the scriptures, to the, to the Bible and what the Bible teaches. And Jesus was responsive to God and to his word. And so friends, I think we see really the a key to fighting unhealthy reactivity in our circumstances is a healthy responsiveness to God, to God's word and to God's people. And so uh, the key to to fighting unhealthy reactivity to to the world and to our circumstances is a healthy responsiveness to God, to His Word, and to His people. And this is where we fall short. Do you notice how strong and faithful Peter and his friends were? Remember the ones who just a little bit ago said, even if I die with you, I'd never betray you? Notice how strong they are. What is it in verse 37 you see? Jesus came and found them sleeping. He goes, Simon... Are you asleep? Could you not watch me even one hour? So, so you know... Peter made it like 42 minutes of faithfulness before he crumbled. And we see why. As Jesus says, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When we fight in our flesh, things don't go well. When we fight in our flesh, we, we can't deliver. We can't pass the test. And, and so then in verse 40, we see uh, it says, Jesus came to them again and found them sleepy, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know how to answer them when Jesus woke them up the second time. And then Jesus woke them up the third time. Peter, who was so bold and so vocal just a little bit ago, now he's like, Jesus, I got nothing. Like, I can't defend the fact that I, I fell asleep now a second time and Jesus wakes him up. See, they all pledged perfect faithfulness, but only Jesus was the one that passed the test in the garden. All of the disciples fell, failed. And yet, here in this, and we see the contrast of the way of Jesus who who's responsive to his father in the way of the disciples who are falling short because they're operating in the flesh. So let's keep going and see what it is and uh, what what happens in the next little section here and see how they respond. Down in verse 43, it says, And immediately, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and the chief priests and scribes and elders. Man, that's just a posse that's coming out, rolling out to pick up Jesus, isn't it? it says, and now the betrayer had given them a sign. The one, I, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him but one of the one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear and Jesus said have i come out to, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day i was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me then but let the scriptures be fulfilled and they all left him and fled and a young man followed him and with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Um, So how did Peter and his compadres do? Uh, they, They abandoned Jesus at the very first moment of opposition. Uh, they all left him and fled. Uh, one of them uh, was asleep and half clothed, and as he wakes up in the middle of all this commotion, it says that they, they grabbed hold of his clothes and seized him too to take him with Jesus. And he man he just dropped his drawers and ran. Uh, this is one of the funniest scenes to me in the Bible. Is thinking about this guy buck naked running through the streets, uh, just trying to get home. Uh, there's nothing worse than a young man having to run into mama's house buck naked and explain why he's running through the streets with no clothes on. But this guy was so afraid of being stuck with Jesus and arrested with Jesus, he was more willing to face the shame of running naked through the streets than to go the way of Jesus, and he abandoned him as well. Some scholars actually think this young man was Mark who wrote this passage. And you think, man, why would Mark include this here? I think there's a reason that would be true. And you see this throughout the Bible that Mark didn't need to hide that. He's saying, look, I was as complicit as everyone else. I did. I ran away and fled just like all the other guys. And just um, I failed just as Peter failed. You know, it's interesting in this passage. There's only one person who's different. Only one man who passes the test. Everyone else betrays Jesus, abandons Jesus out of rage or cowardice, and one man stands tall and passes the test. His name's Jesus. Now, why are all the others fleeing? Why? Why is everyone else failing except for Jesus? I think the reason is that that Jesus was turning everything upside down. And Tim Keller was really helpful for me in teasing out kind of the implications of this. And the reality is that, that they only understand the way of the sword. And so when Judas comes, Judas comes with, with, with a large group of people and he comes saying, look, when I, when I betray him by deception, I want you to seize him and keep him under guard. And he wants to make sure that he's protected. And the reason is that to lose your status or income or position or comfort in that world would feel like the end of the world. It would feel like you'd lost everything. And so the the world teaches you that your security and identity is in pleasure and wealth and influence and inclusion and adoration and uh, and respect. But in this world's kingdom, you would do anything to keep those things more or, or to get more of them. But the kingdom of Jesus says although you you wouldn't enjoy losing those things and you wouldn't like it the core of your being isn't dependent upon upon the circumstances you're in and upon the world in which you live and so you're free to enjoy those things but but when you don't have them you can still live without them and so jesus has got a sense of calm and a sense of peace in the midst of this and see, on the cross, what we see is this great exchange that the Son of God, who in a cosmic sense owned everything, was willing to surrender those things so that in his poverty we might be made rich, so that in his, his being bound up and, and arrested as a robber, that those of us who are actually guilty might be declared innocent and free. And so you see this kind of transition that Jesus was turning everything upside down, and, and he understood that the, that there was more at stake than what these guys understood. And so, according to the world's measuring stick, um, Jesus was going to fail. But according to what we see later, Jesus was actually succeeding in every instance here. So, for us, moving towards spiritual maturity in some ways means replacing the ways of the world in our lives with the way of Jesus. That we learn to operate in a different way. And so, in these verses, we we see three examples that demonstrate the various ways that the world deals with difficult circumstances. One is to seek control. Another is to seek retribution. Another is to seek escape. Jesus will show us another way, but first let's look at these guys. Judas wants control. See, Judas, when he betrayed Jesus with a, with a, with a kiss, we call that the kiss of death or Judas' kiss. And as you think about that. Why did he use a kiss? Well, it's because he was expecting a battle. He expected that if he betrayed Jesus and sold him out to the opposition and they were coming to arrest him and potentially to take him to his death, he was expecting a fight. He was expecting to to operate in the way of the world, the way of the sword, the way of power. And so he was expecting a physical confrontation. And so he set up this sort of a code. Let me go kiss him. And when I do, that's the one you know you need to arrest and I'll bail out. And so I'll still be safe. Um, but it's interesting that Jesus says, have you come to arrest me like a robber? Are you, gonna, are you gonna cuff me and read me my Miranda rights? I've been with you all these days. Why are you coming to me now this way? So I think Judas became disillusioned. I think maybe he thought Jesus wasn't who Jesus claimed to be. Maybe he thought Jesus wasn't powerful enough to deliver. Maybe he thought that, that he could kind of sort of this thing and force Jesus' hand and force Jesus to step up and declare an earthly kingdom. And there's lots of speculation as to why Jesus sold Jesus out. But I tend to think, like most of us, Judas was fearful. That behind his betrayal and his bravado, that he was actually very afraid. He was afraid that he was going to be left out. That he had aligned himself with Jesus, thinking Jesus was going to be this new king that was going to establish this earthly kingdom, and he wanted to be on the inside. And when Jesus started talking about dying, when Jesus started talking about suffering, when Jesus started talking about laying down his life I think Judas started pulling back and saying I don't know if I want a part of that and so he went and sold Jesus out to another in order to align himself with those he thought would be on the winning side Judas wanted a worldly revolution he didn't want to be a part of the kingdom Jesus was coming to bring and so in the midst of this, we see with Judas is he wanted control, and he, he he operated in a manipulative way in order to try to maintain some kind of a control in the middle of circumstances he didn't like. And we see how that ends up in Matthew. It sadly says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, we don't care. What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of over in the temple, Judas departed and he went and hanged himself. So Judas' way ended in suicide. Peter takes a different way. Peter doesn't operate seeking control. Peter actually wants retribution. He's just mad. He's like, this isn't just, I want some retribution here. And so, and we see, and the reason I say Peter here is because in the passage we looked at, there's a one, it says one of the men chopped off the ear of one of the high priest servants. And later we see that man's name is Malchus, but John tells us who it was that chopped off, chopped off this man's ear, and it's, it's Peter. Peter's back to his, man, I'm going to take charge, and I'm going to lead out. And it says Simon Peter having a sword drew it and he struck the high priest's servant cut off his right ear the servant's name was Malchus which interestingly the fact they know his name uh, leads many to believe that this servant eventually became a Christian and became part of their community and they had a relationship with him but the servant uh, Peter cut off his ear and Jesus said to Peter Peter put your sword into its sheath shall I not drink the cup the father has given me but what Jesus said to to peter when they were praying in the garden earlier he says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak see peter is still operating in the flesh and when we fight in the flesh we see that things don't go well and so jesus has to tell him "Peter, put your sword away you're, you're fighting you're fighting the wrong way and so jesus actually takes that ear and he puts it back on malchus and heals that ear right there and then he allows himself to be arrested and goes away See, so when Jesus says, Peter, you're falling, uh, put your sword into a sheath, he's saying that this is not the way we're going to fight this battle. This isn't the way we're going to win. Retribution and seeking this through our anger is not going to achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of men doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God, scripture says. And have you observed in our world how destructive so many of our reactions to our circumstances are? This is, I've just been grieved over the last weeks and. And honestly, I just, I, there's not a good answer for a lot of things that are happening. But when I look, I just think, man, you know, pulling our swords out and attacking one another and fighting against one another in that kind of a way is never going to bring about the, the, the goodness of the world and the flourishing and the wholeness that God wants to bring. And so we're still fighting in the way of the world and we're still fighting in the way of the sword. And I think Jesus is calling us to see things maybe a different way and to posture ourselves in a different way so that we might live differently and look more like him. Again, though, we see Peter overestimates his strengths and his faithfulness. He said he wouldn't fart. He thinks he's going to be able to deliver Jesus in this moment. And Jesus says, Peter, you're doing this all wrong. Uh, And so then Peter flees. In fact, they all flee. Uh, It was interesting, in verse 31, remember it said, uh, Peter said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Well, in verse 50, it says, and they all left Jesus and fled. Um, they've, They've all run away. Um, what we know from the next section here in, um, in in this passage is that Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times, and then he hears um, he hears the, croc, uh, the, the rooster crowing, and it says uh, Peter remembered Jesus said to him before the rooster crows twice he will not he will deny me three times, and Peter broke down and he wept because he knew that he had fallen away just as Jesus had just as Jesus had had said he would. So friends, as we think about this for us and the implications for us, I'm hoping you're beginning to see the difference between reacting to the world and being responsive to the Lord. That there's a different approach and a different posture of our hearts to each of those different responses. And so Judas, Peter, and all the disciples, they were reactive to the world around them. They reacted to the world in worldly ways that really causes their their cause or causes harm to themselves and to others and to their cause. Judas intentionally is harmful to the cause because as he betrays jesus peter is unintentionally i think harmful to the cause by denying jesus and by acting out and mark i think is unintentionally embarrassing to the cause by running away in the buff uh, but the disciples all run away as well and so we see the the weakness of, of these men and the lack of self-awareness because they all initially stood up and kind of puffed their chest out and said man i will never fall I, i'm incapable of denying you jesus And yet, in a very short amount of time, they've all fallen. So what can we learn about self-awareness from these disciples? I think uh, first is that not not one of them thought they would fail the test, but not one of them actually passed it. And so, uh, newsflash to you and me, we're a lot like these guys. We look a lot like Jesus' disciples in the sense of we think we're capable of doing an awful lot, but when we operate in the flesh, we all tend to fall short. So I want you to know, I think one of the things we have to acknowledge is in, in this season, but in every season really, is that, uh, that, that, that we are worthless as a Savior, but I also want you to know that you are worthwhile to your Savior. So he, we're not able to save ourselves. We're worthless as saviors of the world. And we're worthless as saviors who can fix all the circumstances of the world. We're worthless as those who try, might try to save ourselves, but we're worthwhile enough to Jesus that he was willing to endure difficult circumstances in order to bring about our salvation. And so rather than reacting to the world around him, Jesus responded to God, to God's word, with faithfulness, with obedience, for the purpose that we might be saved, that he might be obedient even to the point of death. He endured out of love, for God the Father and out of love for us. And love led Him to endure difficult circumstances and to be obedient and faithful in the midst of those because... uh, because he wanted to bring about salvation for us. And so the opportunity, I think, for us is that we need to learn the way of Jesus, from the way of Jesus, how to be responsive to God. So a couple observations as we kind of reflect back on all the things we've seen, we've seen a lot in this passage. First, Jesus faced horrific circumstances, but he remained resilient and faithful enough to endure them. Why? Well, first, or how did he do that? First, he was honest about his world. He said, this stinks. God, if there's any way this hour could pass, me, I'd rather see that happen. That's honesty and vulnerability. And in this season, I've been, I've been amazed in so many of my conversations, just how fragile we feel and as I begin to, and as, I, as I can sit down and talk to someone, especially a lot of us men. We feel very uncertain in these times, but it's really hard for us to articulate that and just to say it out loud. But I'm impressed here that Jesus admitted it and that means we probably should too. That He just says, this is a situation I would rather not not have to endure. But even in in saying that, secondly, he's also responsive and open to his Heavenly Father. He says, Abba, Father, Daddy, all things are possible for you. Meaning, I trust you. Even in the midst of these difficult circumstances, I trust you, and I surrender to you. And he says, not my will but yours be done. And so, uh, first he comes to the Lord and he's honest about circumstances. Second, he addresses the Lord out of a place of faith. Abba, Father, Daddy, my Heavenly Father, I trust you. And then thirdly, he surrenders to the Father's will. And says, yet not my will but yours be done. And in that, he understood what it meant to do what the father needed or wanted even when it was difficult. And because of his faithful service, we're saved. So friends, like like the disciples, we all fall away. But the good news for us is that the gospel uh, tells us that Jesus already passed the test for us, that his perfect grade has already been applied in the grade book beside our names, that we already have a perfect grade and we're safe and secure in him. And so the opportunity for us, I think, in this season as we process how does that re- relate to the times we're in and what we're going through right now, I think the opportunity for us is to focus on learning to trust and to walk in the way of Jesus and trust that that's best And so to learn to live with a sense of self-awareness. Friends, don't be so foolish as to think you're going to perfectly endure and do everything right in this season and that you're going to see everything exactly right, that you're going to read the circumstances exactly as they ought to be read. Um, We're going to fall short. But also in that, don't think that Jesus won't get it right don't think that Jesus' commitment to us will waver or falter. That even when we fall away, Jesus remains true. And because of that, that ought to give us confidence to trust Him and to obey Him as we grow to be more like Jesus. So what do we? how do we apply this to our circumstances right now? Well, I think one of the things I see is that control is not an option. Despair is not an option. Rage is not an option. Fleeing is not an option. Those are all reactive solutions to our, problem, to our problems, and we've seen how those end up. Instead, one of the ways that, that we know that we're kind to be weaned off the ways of the world and learning to trust the ways of Jesus is we're less compulsive and reactive to the things that are going on around us because we're learning to be more responsive to God and to his word and to his people. And so I think that's the the, the thing we want to lean into at this time. I want to be more receptive to the word of God than I am reactive to the words of men. I want to be more trusting of the plan of God than I am troubled by the plans of men. And so as we think about kind of coming into this next season in the month of July, I just want to, I want to teach us a prayer and just ask us to kind of lean into this and to make this our prayer in this season. And it's really modeled after Jesus' prayer when he said, not my will, but yours. And the prayer is pretty simple. It just says, Father, help me to want what you want. Would you just—would you actually just say that out loud with me right now? Would you just say, "Father, help me to help me to want what you want." And I think that if we can practice that prayer in the month of July and just daily, maybe even hourly, but just say, in this moment, help me to want what you want. On this day, help me to want what you want. And as the world seems like it's in chaos, and as as our flesh is going to be at war within us, kind of pulling us to say, man, operate by the way of the world, fight by the way of the world, operate by the way of the sword, we need to wean ourselves off of that and learn to walk in the way of Jesus. and, And just as a practice and kind of making sure that we're calling ourselves back into the way of Jesus, just to pray that prayer all the time. Lord, help me to want what you want. Jesus showed us how that open, responsive posture to God gives strength in life. And friends, I want you to know in Christ, you can have a resilient, faithful life even when the world seems shaken. Not because you're stronger than others, but because you have a savior who is stronger than others and you have a savior who's overcome the world. So let's rest in that and let's, let's do what Jesus did. Let's be honest, uh, but let's also trust our heavenly father and come to him and just say, Father, help me want what you want. Let me pray for us. Lord, did you make us a people that want what you want? Uh, Father, would you, um, even in our desire to prove ourselves and our desire to be faithful and our desire to be loyal, Father, would you give us a humility that knows that none of us can pass the test, that all of us have fallen short, that all of us fall away because uh, the flesh still has a hold of us. But Father, I pray that we would just cultivate a life, a life that is, is open to what's going on inside of us, a life that's open to you, a life that's open to your word, a life that's open to your people. Father, that you might, that you might wean us off of the way of the world and teach us to, to live by the way of Jesus. Uh, Father, would you, would you just be gracious to us to bring that about in our lives? And Father, would you use this month uh, just to help us learn to, to, to live with a posture of openness to what you want? in our lives and in our world. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.